A Radio 191 FM podcast. Ke te whakarongo mai koe ki te reo irirangi kotahi. You are listening to R1 News here on 91 FM. Ko Gemma Aho. Ko Athena Aho. Today on the show, I am talking to Silverline Otago about Mental Health Week at the University of Otago and also to the New Zealand Wildling Conifer Group on stopping the spread of the invasive, invasive wilding species. Last week, I sat with Peter Saxton, a lead investigator on the SPOT study on how the study aims to influence blood donation policy as well as improve the understanding of HIV in Aotearoa. We will also be speaking to Liam Hoffman from Wormporium the worm farm at Otago Polytech about sustainability efforts around campuses in Ōtipoti. This is the news on Radio 191 FM. Former Deputy Prime Minister and New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters has been trespassed from Parliament for two years over his association with this year's anti-mandate protests. In February... Peters met with protesters, saying he hoped to encourage them to demand that they be heard. As a result, Speaker of the House Trevor Mallard has issued Peters, alongside a number of protesters, with trespass notices. The Parliament protests occupied the Parliament lawns as well as surrounding streets for over three weeks in February and early March. As well as causing congestion and damage to the occupied area, The final day of the protest saw fires lit around the encampment and violent clashes between the protesters and police. Peters says his trespassing was totalitarian behaviour from Speaker Mallard and that he was taking legal advice. Finance Minister Grant Robertson says that the upcoming budget will be more fiscally restrained and focused on rebalancing the economy. In his first major pre-budget speech yesterday, Robertson said as the country moves past the peak of COVID, it is time to resume, quote, a set of fiscal rules to carefully manage costs whilst planning for the future. It comes as inflation reaches a 30-year high amid a rising cost of living. Robertson did not discuss the cost of living in his speech. The budget is set to be announced on May 19th. A leaked draft ruling from the United States Supreme Court would overturn landmark court ruling Roe v. Wade, which guarantees the right to abortion in America. The document was leaked yesterday and has been confirmed as an authentic draft ruling. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, as many as 26 states are expected to partially or entirely outlaw abortion. U.S. President Joe Biden has warned that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it would mark a, quote, fundamental shift in American jurisprudence and may signal the erosion of other rights that rest on the same assurance of privacy signaled by Roe v. Wade, such as access to contraception and marriage equality. And that was the bulletin on the R1 News. Now, the weather. The Radio 191 FM weather. I tēnā can expect a clear start to the day, with fog rolling into some areas in afternoon and a high of 18, a low of 9. Ā po look forward to a fine day, with the remains of this afternoon's fog clearing in the morning and a high of 19, a low of 11.
Are listening to Radio 191 FM. Silverline is a student-led initiative that focuses on mental health and well-being, challenging the stigmas around mental health, and they keep the conversation going. Today I have with me Ella Hitchcock and Ethan McQuinlan from Silver Silverline um, Otago. Kia ora. Thanks for coming in today, guys. Thank you very much for having us. Um, so as Silverline is a student le- is student-led by you and others. Uh, what are stu- uh, Silver Line's ultimate goals for the year? This year we just really want to get our fingers in all the pies. So we know that mental health and well-being encompasses so much and it's very, very broad and it can be a little bit difficult to manage everything. But we are student-led, so what the students want we try and give them and facilitate. So we're thinking of getting some sex positivity, body neutrality, some sober substitute Saturdays, fluoro Fridays, as always, Um, some just conversation starters, our chat stack, just really showing the student community that there is a place for them to have these deep, vulnerable conversations that wants to hear them and have them. Of course, yeah. Um, So it is Mental Health Week here at Otago Uni. So what events are lined up for the week and how can people get involved? We have a Floro Friday this Friday. We also have a Substitute Saturday, which is like a Saturday alternate to your big night in town or your big flat party. So we're having a collab with Stitch Kitchen, doing some cool little... uh, square knit pattern thingies and some non-alcoholic beverages and then Floro Friday we're just heading out to St Clair and doing some breathe breath work and then we also today have some little study smiles hidden around the various libraries on campus and if you find one and share it and tag us you can win some goodies which is pretty fun. Um, cool so what kind of um, inspired these these kinds of um Events and extra little things that the students can do, such as like um, substitute Saturdays. What 
what kind of um, fueled the fire behind that one? Um, I think for us, we just wanted to provide our students with a bit of an alternative to, I guess, what you'd call the norm and things that usually go on down in Dunedin. You know, we just want to provide a space where a whole bunch of people, um, whether known to each other or strangers, were able to come together and basically just yeah, connect and learn a lot more about how we can um, take care of our mental well-being. You know, it's definitely something that... Uh, we we need to address and um, yeah we need to nurture and doing that in a community space and getting more people involved I think just um, really propagates that message throughout the student um, body a lot clearer. And could you tell us a bit about um, what Silverline does outside of Mental Health Week? We have a whole bunch of things. Uh, we tend to do a festival in second semester this year. So that is just a few days of some great speakers, some workshops, some tables, little take-home think cards. Just a great opportunity to have a corero and share some good yarns, some deep yarns, be vulnerable. Yeah, and we also have our little space called It's Not Awkward Bro, which is just yeah a little space devoted to um, to, to the lads. And yeah, within that space, we usually try to host like a small event. I remember my first event with Silverline was a panel hosted down at Joe's Garage. Um, yeah, where we really invited um, a lot more men to come with, come into the space and just hear some stories. Um, a few questions were asked, and people were able to give their own sort of authentic and organic perspective on their experience with mental health and so we try to run really sort of interactive um, events in that space and uh, yeah just trying to yeah, encourage a lot more fellas to come come along. Cool so you guys kind of um, help um, well are you, are you there for more than just a community such as like would you um, do you offer support on an individual level as well or no we no. aren't a service so okay. we're not trained in any primary care mm-hmm. or prevent uh, like intervention we are almost like a lubricant for your conversations okay we get you you know in the mood to have a deep yarn but and we can put you in contact we've got some really good friends around the community and like student health and te whare but we ourselves are not looking out for that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and for those who are interested in joining Silverline or working with you, can they do that? If so, how? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, you know, we've had a lot of people come and approach us at some of the little stalls we've run just throughout Mental Health Week last year, I remember, um, and even in our O-Week store, we had a lot of people just really keen to come and get involved. And, yeah, that's basically the, the way we like to outreach. You know, we, we grab your details and then, um, you know, uh, either Sian or Tash will reach out and get in touch with you and just have a good little convo and, you know, see where you're at with it all. And, yeah, so it's real cool like that, you know. It's really people wanting to get involved, you know, and it's, yeah, it's a big, um, yeah, it's very, yeah, we're very delighted just to see how there's so many people just real keen to get involved in this space. Yeah, I feel like the the larger the participation, the more people that can feel the benefits from um, that kind of conversation. Heck yeah. 100%. Um, so I guess where can we find you? How how can we keep updated from like what you guys are up to and what you're hosting and stuff like that? 
So, um, yeah, we're located down at the um, Social Impact Studio, which is, I believe, next to the Information Services Centre, if that's what it's called. Um, and then in terms of keeping updated with us, we have a Instagram page, which is just Silverline Otago, and we also have a Facebook page as well. But, yeah, our Instagram page is pretty active. You know, we keep all of our events updated on that page um, with everything up and coming or little things that we're running. Um, so last year we did a bit of, uh, I think, it was a mystery mystery hunt and um, we we're putting updates on the story um, day in day out just leading up to festival where people were going for a little easter egg hunt kind of vibe um, around campus and a little bit around north d so yeah definitely uh, chuck us a follow and uh, yeah we'll keep you posted Cool. Thank you so much for coming in, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. And just as a wee little gift from us, this is our newly um, made uh, Silverline chat stacks, which basically oh, just wow. a set of cards where you can you know, get a group of your mates together and you go around, you ask questions. And these are questions that can... Yeah, they lead to very vulnerable uh, conversations, which is essentially what we, we're all about. We're all about opening up to each other, especially within our close friend groups. So, yeah, we'd love to give you those oh, just as a so little thank you for having us today. Oh, amazing. Do you guys have many of these um, going around? Or? Oh, heck yeah. Oodles yeah. and oodles. Oh, yeah. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, we should definitely. Um, if you love a vulnerable yarn, come see us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All yeah, about all keeping that it. conversation yeah, heck going. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much.
SPOTS, or Sex and Prevention of Transmission Study, was launched last week in Aotearoa. This study aims to use information about sex between men in Aotearoa to inform blood donation policies and HIV prevention. Being head-run by the University of Otago and the University of Auckland, I sat down with Peter Saxton from the University of Auckland, a lead researcher for SPOTS, to discuss the study and its aims. Hi, Peter. How are you? Kia ora. Very well, thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about the SPOTS research and what it is? Sure. Well, SPOT stands for Sex and Prevention of Transmission Study, uh, and it's a pretty ambitious study. So it's essentially about three things. First of all, um, removing um, unjustified discrimination in blood donor policy in Aotearoa. So that's a a big one. But it's also about preventing HIV transmission uh, and improving sexual health care, particularly for gay and bisexual men. So it's sort of three studies wrapped into one but we've had fantastic feedback uh, we've launched this week. And, you know, we've got, I guess, eight weeks of recruitment to go. But because it's about so many important issues for our communities, you know, we've, we've received really great buy-in. And that's, that's really pleasing to see. So this study focuses on HIV prevention and blood donation policies in Aotearoa. Could you talk a little bit more about why this makes the research so important? Sure. Well, in Aotearoa, like in other countries, gay and bisexual men are effectively banned from donating blood. So the actual rule is if you've had um, sex with another man, um, and that includes oral or anal sex with or without a condom, in the last three months, then you're deferred or, or asked not to donate. So that's the policy as it stands. I guess the first thing is that we know a lot of gay and bisexual men uh, um, want the right to donate. Um, We don't know how many interested. We know that that quite a lot are, but we don't know what the precise number is. Um, And that's because, you know, gay and bisexual men, like other people, want to help others who need blood. Um, We know that donating blood is valued in society. It's seen as a moral good and almost as a civic duty. So I think being denied um, access to donating blood, you know, excludes a lot of people who want to help. That's the first thing. Um, and I think a lot of people who are friends of gay and bisexual men, they might, you know, have brothers who are, who are gay or um, friends who are gay. You know, they're quite surprised that there's still this policy and, and don't really understand why it's still here, particularly because we see ourselves in Aotearoa as a progressive country, right? So that's the second thing. And the third thing is, look, the blood service itself recognises this is um, probably outdated, that this very broad policy is probably too blunt and doesn't um, reflect some of the differences, you know, amongst people that could allow some people to donate earlier and, um, and, and safely. So it's about those three key things. Um, but what we don't have in Aotearoa is evidence. So, you know, New Zealand's epidemic situation and blood donor situation is unique. It's not exactly the same as other countries. So we can't just copy other countries' policies. But to know what the right policy looks like, we need New Zealand data, and that's what our study's about. Yeah, and speaking about data, I know that SPOTS is looking for participants right now. What criteria are you looking to meet with those participants, and why is it important for people to get involved So SPOTS is open to um, men who have sex with men, regardless of how someone identifies. So that could be gay, bisexual, pansexual, queer, or or even heterosexual, so long as um, you identify as a man, cis or or trans, um, and have sex with other men. That's the first thing. It's also open to um, 
trans women and non-binary individuals who are having sex with gay and bisexual men because that increases um, exposure to HIV in Aotearoa. Um, and you could be a young gay and bisexual man or queer person and not have had sex yet, but, but we're still keen to hear from you. So that's um, who we're asking to take part. It's quite an ambitious goal. We, we would like to hear from 4,000 participants over the eight weeks. And that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, we need to, to have enough participants to examine the experiences of very small parts of our communities. Um, we're also looking at quite rare experiences. So, you know, undiagnosed infection is quite a rare event, we hope. But we also want to look at diversity. So often when we do these surveys, you know, we hear from people who are quite attached to the gay community. They might be involved in, um, you know, queer communities. But for this, we really want to hear from voices we don't hear as often from. So we're thinking of you know, Māori, gay and bisexual men, Takatāpui, uh, Pacifica, Asian, um, migrant um, men who have sex with men, people who live in smaller towns, um, and and people who might not see themselves as, as gay. So that's important because we expect that the experience of, of HIV prevention for, for these groups might look different. And, and and we want to hear from them if we to know how to remove those barriers. So current sex education and general knowledge of STIs can be quite antiquated. How does this influence your study and the hopes for its outcomes? Yeah, this is a really timely study for, for some other reasons. So yes, the main thing I think is around blood donation. But to do that well, um, we also need to know quite detailed um, information about people's safe sex practices, right? And this is important because we haven't done this in, in Aotearoa for quite a few years. In fact, the last time we did something at this scale was 2014. That was quite a long time ago in safe six years um, because a lot's changed. So HIV prevention internationally has evolved. Um, so in addition to things that have worked really well for you know more than 30 years, things like condoms, things like testing for HIV and other STIs, We've got um, PrEP, which is a pill people can take to reduce the risk of contracting HIV. And we've also got treatments for people who are living with HIV. That means they, they can't transmit HIV sexually to their partners. So we need a, a much more up-to-date picture of, of what safe sex looks like in Aotearoa um, in 2022. And we need that because we want to know what the overall coverage of, of safe sex looks like and whether we're likely to reach the goal of eliminating transmission of HIV in New Zealand by 2025, which is one of our um, government's objectives. Um, but we also want to know where the gaps are. So like I said before, we want to know whether there are some parts of our communities who are missing out on some of these benefits, whether it's um, knowing where to go for an HIV test, knowing how to access PrEP, or understanding things about keeping themselves safe. So it's both about where we're at um, overall, but also where the gaps are. And I guess lastly, for those who don't fit criteria to participate, are there any other ways that individuals can get involved in helping out the SPOT study? We've had a phenomenal response already. So we launched on, uh, gosh, Tuesday this week. Um, and we've seen, I think, promotion of the study really go viral, on, particularly on social media. So um, radio has been fantastic, TV has been fantastic, but actually it's our, our community and our allies who have been sharing it with their whānau that's really, I think, given us a, a, a nice kick. So 
we've already in the first, I think, three days got over 1,200 responses, which is incredible. And that's through sharing some of the pretty vivid posters that people might have seen around um, the city. So look out for our social media ads. Look out for some posters around campus and around um, cities. And share that with friends because that directs people towards the website where people can take part. So if people go to spots.org.nz, that's where they can find everything they need to know about the survey, um, the link to the actual survey, and then another thing that's really important, which is um, an invitation to provide a dried blood spot test, and that's kind of why we've called it spots as well. That's sort of a, a second voluntary part of the survey. So once someone's completed their behavioural questionnaire, they can also be sent a kit from us to their home for free and provide a dry blood spot. That will then get sent to a lab. We will test it for HIV, syphilis, and hepatitis C, which are all um, transfusion transmissible infections. And they'll have the opportunity to also receive their results if they'd like that too. And the goal of that for us is to work out what the overall proportion of undiagnosed infection is. That's obviously really important for setting the right blood donation policy setting. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing that blood services around the world are most concerned about is undiagnosed infection. But also for individuals, of course, it can help uh, diagnose um, an infection they weren't aware about. And all three of these are now treatable. So there's both you know, individual benefits from doing this, but also community benefits too. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Gemma. And um, encourage people to go to the website and share it with their friends. Absolutely.
welcome to the unofficial capital of Polynesia, Auckland. Of the 32,000 islanders who live in this country, an estimated 20,000 are concentrated in this one city, making it, in fact, the largest Polynesian city in the world. You are listen to, listening to Radio 191 FM. So Prevent the Spread is an initiative to protect New Zealand ecosystems from wildling pine, which has become an invasive species in many areas across the country. I have with me today Sherman Smith, a spokesperson from New Zealand Wildling Conifer Group. Kia ora, Sherman. Kia ora. Thanks for joining um, so the wildling conifer or pines are presenting a threat in our native ecosystems. To what extent um, is their population currently and what would we expect if nothing was done to reduce these populations? Yeah, so currently around 2 million hectares of New Zealand's affected to some extent by wildling conifers. Uh, and prior to the, the start of the National Wildling Conifer Control Programme, uh, they were spreading at about 90,000 hectares a year, despite all the good work that everybody was doing trying to stop them. So to give you a bit of an idea of, of that, that's sort of nine high country stations a year being invaded, uh, the equivalent of. So, yeah, pretty significant um, spread going on there. And so what strategies are being implemented to get the wildlings under control? And has funding presented any limitations? Yeah, so... Um, the program that I run, the National Wine and Conifer Control Program, commenced uh, back in 2016, um, but it followed on from some work uh, done by a whole lot of parties involved in wild and control to try and coordinate better the activities that they're doing in terms of control. Um, so, so when the program started, it's basically seen a, a significant ramping up of uh, expenditure of on control uh, around New Zealand. And that's really had a huge boost in the last couple of years with um, some of the Jobs for Nature funding. So um, at the moment, we've been making some really good progress on, on you know, how we're going. We've, um, we've delivered control on about 2 million, million hectares of New Zealand, uh, which equates to um, over half the, the national infestation. Obviously, you have to search a bigger area than, than the actual infestation just to make sure you've got it all. Yeah. So... Are the other wildlings still covering more land than what we are um, than what are being removed? Is it are they staying one step ahead or? So um, so we're doing work, you know, within our active kind of area of control on around three quarters of New Zealand's infestation. So in that area, we're absolutely 
um, starting to win this, particularly with the you know, additional funding, which is which is great. You know, it's I don't think people realise how close we've come to losing, particularly our high country in New Zealand, to wild and conifer invasion. Um, I guess the challenge is we can't fix it all at once, and and that remaining quarter is continuing to spread, uh, and the cost of controlling it's continuing to increase. So, so there's still more to do. Yeah. So, how many people um, overall are um, are involved in presenting and preventing the invasive species? And also, can the public do anything to assist that? Yeah. So it's been a huge collective effort. Um, so the. The program that I run, the government-funded program, employs around 500 people over the peak season doing control on the ground. Um, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. There's so many community groups and farmers and, um, and individual agencies working on this issue. This, you know, it's hard to put a figure on how many people are involved. It's 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 a huge collective effort, and it's great. Um, in terms of what what the public can do, um, first of all, you know, supporting those efforts, you know, getting involved in community groups in your area, that's great. And individual landowners, they can they can look at the species that they're planting in terms of pines and conifers and Douglas fir, and and making sure they're not adding to the problem. You know, not not planting things that are going to spread on the wind and cause problems for themselves or their neighbours. Cool. And um, so, to what extent is the pine infestation like in Otago? Do you have any details on that one? Yeah, I haven't got the exact um, area of infestation, but certainly Otago is highly vulnerable to invasion. You know, those those dry lands of central Otago and the Otago Lakes are, are just perfect for pines to invade into and, and Douglas fir. So um, fortunately, we've been really lucky in that a lot of that was just in the early stages of infestation and we've been able to get on top of that really quite quickly. Um, but there are some significant infestations, you know, particularly around Queenstown, those uh, those lovely green hills you see around Queenstown um, are not planted forest as much as they may look like it. So um, some big, big infestations that are going to take a, quite a long time to get on top of. And and I guess for me, you know, I go to places like Wanaka and Hawea and I see this, the ongoing spread that we haven't yet got to and and I think, oh, yeah, we've still got a bit of work to do here. You know, it's a, it's a big issue for a target for sure. Yeah, you can definitely see it around. Um so the the New Zealand Wildling Conifer Mad- Management Strategy covers a set of goals and strategies between 2015 and 2030. What are you expecting and hoping to see by 2030 um, in regards to how progress is going so far? Yeah, so so we set ourselves the ambitious goal of, of containing all our known infestations by 2030 and removing as many of them as we could by that time. Um, we're tracking pretty well on that progress whether we'll get to having them all done by 2030 time will tell but um, certainly we've made some significant progress and uh, and I guess the challenge now is, is to really lock in the benefits of the good work we've we've done over the last couple of years with that increased funding um, and then just kind of keep moving forwards on those areas that we haven't yet got to and, yeah so so overall you're making good progress yeah really pleased you know it's it's probably one of the biggest weed issues we've got in New Zealand and to be turning the tide on it is is a major accomplishment really. Yeah, awesome and supporting those um, other native bush as well in the process. Um, cool, well that's that's all my questions I've had so far um, but yeah, thank you for joining. Do you have anything more to add to that? No, thank you for, thank you for the opportunity, yeah cool. and I guess I was, I was just going to say you know, I guess I haven't talked too much about the impacts but you know, allowing these things to spread will impact a lot, as you say, on our biodiversity, you know, increased fire risk, as we've seen recently. You know, there's a lot of negative impacts if we allow these things. So it, um, 
Yeah, it's good to be making progress on them. Awesome. Cool. Good to hear. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks. Cool. See you later. Takahu with Waikato. Now we are joined by Liam Hoffman to talk about Popopo and sustainability efforts around campuses here in Otipoti. Hey Liam, can you hear us? Hey Jimmy. How are you? Oh, pretty well, you know, just working. I'm working right as we speak, even. Wow. Well, could, yeah. you, could you tell us a little bit about Wormporium and what you do there? Yeah, so what? I've taken it over my from my friend who started it as part of his sustainability on campus like project. Um, but he's moved to Wanganui and I know compost and I helped him a bunch like volunteering. So I took it up. Um, and essentially we take in a good chunk of like the Polytech's food waste and turn it into compost for the garden and for the, I guess the ecosystem in a wider sense. Cool. Um, so that's like super broad. Yeah, I <laughs> broad, mean, the broad mission. Is there any more specific missions that you have at Wormporium? Yeah, we're gonna. Uh, well, yeah, I guess we would like to eventually, like, see the campus be fully 
uh, zero waste in terms of organics. Um, yeah, because we take in, like, from the hall, the Te Pa Hall, uh, a couple cafes around around the campus, and, like, just the, the hub um, organic bins. So, yeah, I think we're pro- processing, like, up to 200 kgs worth uh, a day. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. A lot of people around the campus. Yeah, and, I mean, aside from composting, was there anything else that made you want to get involved? Yeah. Um, the world's kind of on fire, and I want a job that makes me feel like I'm helping. Uh, and I love, I don't know, yeah, I garden a lot. I study horticulture. Um, yeah, I think this is kind of the future of work in a lot of ways, I guess, for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, can you talk about any of the other sustainability efforts around campuses here in Aotearoa? Yeah. Well, there's actually not many. It's kind of a shame. Like, the university uh, has next to nothing in terms of what... Uh, what am I saying? Um, you know, in terms of, like, big waste management solutions. They've got a few worm farms knocking around, but, like, um, yeah, it would be cool to see something big scale there. As far as other campuses, I'm not sure, really, um, what's going on. Uh, we also have a, like, flat collection compost thing, so um, you can sign up to that. Uh, what's the email address? Compost at op.ac.nz. Um, my mate Gabby, she's like the bucket bucket wrangler, we call her, and she brings the buckets once a week. Um, yeah, and it would be cool to see more flat do it as well, you know? Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so essentially you get given a bucket and you put all your organics in from your cooking and your food, all your food scraps, and then we, Gabby collects it and we uh, process it into feed the worms or feed feed the other microbes or uh, microbes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome and a great way to get involved, I guess. Uh, totally. And I think, like, if people haven't had experience with composting or know what even different types of waste are, we're not really in a culture that, uh, <laughs> let me rant about this, uh, that values those sorts of things. The uh, throwaway society, in it. It sure is. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure there's other ways to get involved with Wormporium. Are you looking for volunteers right now? Is there any way that people can start projects with you? Yeah, right. So student, the Student Army, I am. if you want to go volunteer for them, I'm in the process of getting a monthly crew to help turn compost because it's real heavy uh, and weigh it and potentially log data with me, which would be fun. Um, so that can be a way to get involved. It is pretty like hermetic or like not, uh, not heaps of resources. So we're, we're in the process of trying to take on organic waste from other, from businesses like cafes around town, side on are potentially, uh, are actually keen. Um, but we need just a larger capacity to do more stuff in general because it's still a bit of a, a baby project. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
How do you think you could get that larger capacity? Uh, more space, I guess, and more awareness. Maybe another... Like, it'd be great to have, like, a crew, you know, a compost crew, because um, it's literally just me um, and, like, volunteers who are excellent, the old volunteer that pops by. Um, yeah, just, I don't know, more of a... More urgency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think is, like, kind of needed. So for people interested in volunteering and stuff, should they contact you directly, or is there a way to contact Paw 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 about it? Yeah, uh, that email I mentioned earlier, compost.op.ac.nz, oh, sorry, compost at op.ac.nz is a great way to get involved. Um, come give me a hand, or just even come, like, hang out and see the worms and see what goes on and learn a few things. Um yeah, what else was in your question? What else did you ask? Just just ways to volunteer. Ways to volunteer. Uh, yeah, that would be probably the best way. Um, but also you can, like, if we're mates or whatever, just slip me a DM. Amazing. If you're interested. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks so much for talking to us today, Liam. Is that it? Oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> Easy. Easy peasy. Sweet. See you around, Gemma. See ya. Hello?
Kia ora. This has been Radio 1's Wednesday News Show. For the past hour, we have hosted Silverline Otago on Mental Health Week and events, Sherman from New Zealand Wilding Conifer Group on the Invasive Wilding Pines. We also had an interview with Peter Saxton from the SPOT study about HIV prevention and blood donation policies in New Zealand, as well as talking to Liam Hoffman about Wormporium or Pawpapaw, uh, sustainability efforts at the Otago Polytech. This has been our one News for Wednesday, the 4th of May. Keep on listening to Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi and check out our Instagram at News. NZ. Thank you. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.